Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 6 of, for this week only, Mavshrieks. I'm Jamie Gordon, and over there, far 4,000-ish miles away... <laughs> yes, it's Ginny Carlin uh, from Battus in Canada. A very cold Battus in Canada. It's minus 15 today, and there's snow on the ground, Jamie. I mean... I, I can't quite get my breath with it, but, you know, it, it, we were flooded last week in the UK. This week we're snowed in in Canada. Well, my record in Canada when I did my stint at Batters uh, was about minus 40. And that was oh. that was ja- January, February. Um, so, and at which point the hairs in your nostrils go brittle and really sore. Um, and it's not very pleasant. But anyway, you've got all that to come, eh? Yeah. But Thanks, listen, how's the, how's the journey? Thanks, partner. Um, amazing, because I upgraded to business class for the first time in my whole life. Uh, I flew with WestJet and I thought, you know what, I'm going to treat myself. Uh, upgraded, uh, turned left on the aircraft. There was a certain amount of smugness when I showed my ticket to the uh, cabin crew and they were like, oh, this way, Miss Carlin. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, yeah, flew business class, which was just amazing. I, I can't, it spoiled me forever, though, now. and flew, of course, on a, um, a Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Uh, and uh, I was talking to the cabin crew about what it was like to, to be on the aircraft. I don't think I've ever been on one before. Um, I managed not to tell them that I had been in the simulator with Al Bridger on the 777, so if they needed any help, you know. Um, but I was sort of talking to the, the cabin crew. Um, I was hanging around the toilet waiting for the pilot to come out of the cockpit so I could grab him and talk to him. But I think he saw that I was a bit of a weirdo and kind of... Stayed where he was. Um, but the camera crew were, were great and they were saying, um, uh, you know, of all the wide-bodied aircraft that they, they'd flown on, the long-haul aircraft, that that, that was their favourite because the sense of space. And, and one of them said, the, the air that flows around the cabin, which I, I, I thought, that's an odd thing to say. And then I thought about it and I thought, actually, if you are eight hours on one of these things standing up, you know, making sure everybody is, is well uh, fed and, and watered, walking up and down, then... That is a really quite an important thing. So the Dreamliner was was a beautiful aircraft. Um, you know, WestJet, if anybody from WestJet's listening and they want me to have a little go on the simulator of the 787, I'm always game for that, you know what I mean? I'll even drive there myself. It's all good. So, yeah, so I had a great journey over. I've got two questions, one of which is, did you drop the name MavGeeks to anyone uh, on board? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. And did the crew. And did... <laughs> And did you drink irresponsibly for one day only? Uh, well, it was, uh, what, what can I say? Uh, when I got on the aircraft and they said, oh, Miss Carlin, would you like a glass of champagne? Uh, yes, please. That was before we took off. And that was the the uh, the kind of signature for the rest of the flight, really. So I, I had a very lovely time, uh, watched a lot of films, ate a lot of lovely food. I drank a lot of lovely wine. So, you know, what's not to love? It's the only way to travel. Absolutely. <laughs> Right, we're at that time of year then where we scare the bejesus out of each other. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I really do enjoy this episode um, because it's so different to everything else that we do here on Mav Geeks. It's fun, but there must be a grain of truth somewhere in it. That's what I always think. It, it is uncanny that... Um, okay, funny, I should say uncanny. I've actually been listening and watching a bit of Uncanny. I don't know if you've seen it. It's oh, a podcast, yes. it's now a TV programme. I actually got halfway through the TV programme and said, nah, that's enough for me. I, I'm a, a bit of a big girl's blouse when it comes to all this um, 
uh, this dark stuff. I can only just about watch Exorcist and that's it. So... I do think that the the aviation side of it, though, I mean, you don't really think of aircraft being haunted or hangars and stuff, but actually uh, our guest, uh, Richard, when he speaks about the the haunted hangar, um, it it all kind of comes a little bit to life, really. And I don't know if you uh, remember back to series one of Mav Geeks where we uh, it was my old partner, Alex, uh, and we did a, a Halloween special and we spoke about the Lockheed TriStar uh, with, I think it was Eastern Airways that la- uh, crashed into the Everglades and that parts of that TriStar were put onto other aircraft and people were reporting seeing ghostly figures and things would happen. It happened so much that the top brass from Eastern banned people talking about it. And then in the end, they scrapped the, the whole aircraft with any of those parts. On. Things like that make me go a bit, you know what I mean? Uh, but the whole aviation side of it, and of course, there's so much history, so many emotions, so much stuff going on. Um, it's Yeah, it, it kind of lends itself to it, doesn't it? Anyway, I'm going to introduce you to this guy that I spoke to last week. I met him, first of all, at Chillingham Castle in Northumberland. We got speaking and I realised he got a great aviation history. His name is Richard Craig. He looks like one of the hairy bikers, but boy, can he tell a story. So, Richard, I know that we've spoken before about your past and and, and aviation connections that you've had, like working with the aviation industry. Uh, I know that you're absolute mad. You're absolutely mad for the ghost stories and for ghost hunting. What stories have you got of a spooky aviation nature for us today? One November night at um, Newcastle Airport, we were in the Aero Club bar, which was the, the old Newcastle Airport terminal. Now, during World War II, Newcastle Airport was RAF Wolsington. And at the time, there was still a World War II Bellman hangar in existence and still full of aircraft and one or two antique aircraft at that. I was in the bar and it was a lovely, crisp November evening, maybe around 6, 6.30, something like that, just getting dark. And um, a couple of the chaps in there who have a lovely, um, they had a Jordel aircraft, nice old tail dragger, and they'd had an issue. And they says, oh, you wouldn't mind having a little look, would you? So we, off we went on this crisp, cold evening into the, the hangar. Um, slid the canopy back and we were pouring over the, um, the back of the cockpit area. And um, suddenly we heard ting, 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 ting 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 and it stopped we all turned around and um, noticed that um, during the tinging were three fire extinguishers standing on the concrete floor of the hangar and there wasn't a breath of wind or anything it was a calm November November evening and one of them was hitting the side of the hangar making the tinging noise now, I might add at this juncture that uh, one of the chaps there was a, a civil engineer. Um, and we, we stopped, looked at this in sort of horror, and then Stan jumped down off the wing, got a hold of this and went, look at what it takes to move this and make it hit the hangar. Right, okay. And then Bill, who owned the aircraft, a chill went down his spine and he went, that's the ghost of Jimmy Denyer who used to 
be the sort of CEO of the airport. So we decided to wrap up what we were doing and then we went back to the Aero Club bar. We got in the bar and Bill was looking a bit pale by this time. And then he says to all the guys there, you never guess what's just happened. So we had a semicircle of blokes all listening in, intently. And then we were going to go back down there, but Bill wasn't up for it. So that was, it's the only time I've seen that sort of thing happen. Uh, and I've done a lot of hours inside that hangar over the years. And um, it never happened again. So um, whether it was a warning or what have you, I do not know. But I have another nice ghostly tale. Some years ago, um, when a friend of mine's, um, this has an, an aviation connection, as, as, as I'll, I'll get to. Um, my friend's um, mother-in-law died. Now, she was quite a, um, a ridiculously heavy smoker. And um, anyway, she, she, she died. And this strange smell kept appearing in his house when a certain type of music was played. And we found we could actually get this smell to come and go. And it was a type of music that she didn't like. So it became a bit of a party trick. Do you want to see a ghost or sense a ghost? Oh, yes. So this music was put on and this smell would appear. One day I was doing a flight and it was a solo flight. And um, I was uh, I just got the aircraft fired up and I was at the holding point at Newcastle Airport just doing power checks. I mean, aeroplanes have their own particular smell. You know, you, you've got a mixture of um, hydraulic fluid, sort of damp, etc., etc. This smell appeared in the aeroplane. Oh, that's odd. Anyway, I got clearance to take off. Off I went. First leg was okay. Second leg was okay. Third leg, um, I was coming back to Newcastle. And I was full power, just coming at the top of the climb. And um, I had a warning. Master caution came on. The aircraft had lost all charge. All right, so I thought it was kind of prudent to uh, land... Um, back at Carlisle Airport. So I landed, had a look, I rang the aircraft operator, and he said, oh, it does that, do this to reset. Anyway, cutting a long story short, um, after four or five takeoffs, we couldn't get this right, so I think I've got the record of emergency landings at Carlisle Airport, in a row. And <laughs> eventually we got the aircraft back, shepherded, other handheld radios on board, because we're going back to an international airport. But to this day... I still think that smell that appeared at the holding point during power checks was a warning. <laughs> and there's a another nice tale. The city of Sunderland, where the Nissan car plant is based, they were on the site of the old um, Sunderland airport. There was an old World War II hangar, a lamella hangar, from Lamellendach, it's got a curved roof, and the, it's it's gone now. But when when uh, new cars came off the production line, if anybody needed, say, a tow bar fitting or anything sort of aftermarket after production, it would go down there. And um, a friend of mine worked for the organisation uh, specialising this sort of thing, and he kept telling me tales. He'd be working there, and he says it could be a, a nice summer evening or whatever. And suddenly the temperature would go right down through the floor. And um, 
occasionally, he says, when he was in the stores, he says, you get these fleeting glimpses um, of somebody in uniform or, you know, an, an Irwin jacket, something like that. And this kept going on and on and on. And apparently the, there was the ghost of a Canadian airman um, used to lurk around this hangar, even when it was used as a Nissan um, stores depot. And um, I wonder if it's still going on now because that building's been demolished. Now, a friend of mine owns an old RAF airfield, which is um, RAF Tranwell. Uh, well, it was RAF Morpeth, it's Tranwell Airfield. Uh, most of it's been um, given back over to farmland, but a lot of things are still in existence. Um, a lot of the dispersal areas, there's still um, one hangar left. The old harmonizing butts, etc., are still there. There's an underground bunker. And a lot of old RAF buildings, um, which are in the a lot of woodlands now grown up and grown through some of these buildings. Now, we looked at this, we did a ghost hunt. Um, and four of us went out there, we videoed this, and we did a, a bit of homework on the place, and we noticed that there was a collision, a mid-air collision, uh, with, um, I think it was two Blackburn Botha aircraft, and neither crew survived, but we had all of their names, ranks, etc., etc. So off we went with some equipment, and we have a, a wonderful device that is used in paranormal investigation. It's uh, called a spirit box, which is basically a modified, detuned, ever-scanning radio. We scan these backwards at uh, 150 milliseconds, and for the listeners, if they're interested, this is a PSP7 type box. So, you can ask questions, wait a few seconds, and hopefully you may get a very intelligent response. So, we were armed with our lists of names, ranks, dates, etc. And uh, lo and behold, we went into one of the old buildings and we started getting results. Flight officer this, flight sergeant that. And then another lady's voice came into the mix. And it seems that two, two airmen um, had a thing for the same lady and it seems to be still going on in their spirit realm. So it was becoming very interesting and almost Jeremy Kyleish, as it were, um, in, in the spirit world. And we were conducting this in, um, <laughs> we, in, in what was probably um, some old office or what have you. And we recorded the whole thing and it, it was amazing. And I, I think there was uh, one Polish airman uh, involved in this and uh, it, it made for, um, for his listeners, it made quite... <laughs> Quite, quite a good listen. And another one is a friend of mine has has got. He just bought a couple of Tiger Moth aircraft, uh, and he's looking at another one. But the um the one he's looking at presently has proper historical significance, and it's um because it's said that Johnny Johnson himself um learned to fly in this aircraft. So we'll see. But um, in his hangar, he's got he's he's getting it all decked with um, a lot of early fly and memorabilia. And, um, it, it, it's, it's looking pretty good. But um, he tells me little tales of, especially you know, when you're locking the hangar up at night and you come in the next morning and you're walking up the hangar and you maybe hear tinkling noises or what have you, and you go in and he tends to find maybe tools or an old flying helmet have moved in the night. <laughs> so 
<laughs> and there was a good one with a, a polishing cloth as well that had migrated away from the windscreen of the tiger that was uh, parked in the hangar. And the next morning it was beside his flying helmet. <laughs> so <laughs> that was... Uh, that, 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 that was pretty good. And another airfield as well that is quite scary in the, in the hangar department. I was, I was up there one day. was uh, Kirk Newton Airfield. Again, another um, ex-RAF um, field. And walking around there, and the, the, the funny noises we've had, um, it, it always tends to be around about evening time and usually always in the winter. You'd be there, you go, hang on a second, what's that? Listen. And you're absolutely sure that you can hear two or three guys talking, bantering away. And then when you try to move around to investigate what's going on, it just stops. And um, another airfield that really, really got to me big style. I was there to um, look at um, a Europa aircraft. And it was um, Wombleton airfield, which I believe was a, a bomber airfield back in, in World War Two. And the old control tower is still there. And you get, I was down by one of the um, the main runways and then into some trees that they built this other hangar on top of a couple of old dispersal points. And the amount of times you are sure in yourself, you've heard the rumble of four Merlins or four Bristol Hercules or something like that. And you go out to have a look and again, it goes. But there's... Just that sense that even though you're, you're standing on a runway, you certainly aren't alone. But as I say, the um, old airfields, World War II airfields, are so touched with all of this. It never, never seems to go away. Um, but there's always that sweet spot, and it's always around. It, it could be early morning, just around dawn chorus, when it begins and it starts again just when the sun's about to go down. Another airfield that was uh, quite amazing was um, where the East Fortune, East Fortune um, up beyond the Scottish borders, walking around that, it still feels alive to this day. And um, another airfield was Brunton Airfield, and uh, we operated the very, very last aircraft out of there and um, I used to spend a lot of time alone on that airfield in the last remaining hangar and the amount of times I've gone out to see what's going on because it sounded it sounded like maintenance works etc was still going on around you and I still visit that from time to time because they have country shows on it and just to have a bit of a wander around it's it still feels alive it's quite intact um, apart from most of the buildings have gone, but all the old uh, bunkers and shelters are, are still in place. And you just, if the conditions are right, you just get that wisp of something firmly around you. And I think it's wonderful. I really do. Wow. Gosh. Now, I know just what you're talking about, Richard, when you say about... Um, it feels alive. I, I always remember, I'll, I'll tell you really quickly one of my little um, airfield ghost, ghost stories. I used to help um, I used to help out at a museum, uh, an old 8th Air Force museum, a place called Thorpe Abbotts in Suffolk, years and years ago, in the 1990s. Yes, I'm that old. Um, and I always remember that one Sunday we were there 
and the local squire owned the land where the domestic site had, had been on. And the the local squire used to let us go in a group and there was a somebody from the museum used to come along and we do like a it was just virtually untouched really, this domestic site. Kind of let us go and not do a dig as such, but like move some of the earth around, move some of the leaves around and stuff. And we found all sorts. We found a battery box from a lid from a B-17. It, you know, it was just there just for the pickings. And you talk about that sweet spot just as the sun's going down. I always remember this chap saying, right, it's time to go now. It's time to go. And I was like, you're joking, aren't you? There's loads of really good stuff here. And he was like, no, 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 it's, it, it's time to go. Um, he said, um, I don't want to disturb the ghosts. And I looked at him thinking he was like messing about. He was absolutely serious. He was like, we, we need to go now. Um, and I've never, ever forgotten that. So when you talk about that kind of that sweet spot and that feeling, I do definitely think sometimes there's a little feeling of, right, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I think I, I think I need to leave this place. But when you talk about conditions being right for perhaps hearing a, a lost conversation. And I still don't know if I believe in ghosts or not, but when you talk about the conditions being right for maybe hearing a lost conversation or maybe seeing something, what are those conditions that have to be right? The con- the conditions that have to be right, it's almost like a transition of veil. Oh, gosh, right. Okay. You know, you're moving yeah. from one type of atmosphere to, to another, you see. Um, you know, when, when day becomes night and um, everything seems to change, you know, atmospherics around you change, you know, it's this diurnal effect going on around you. And it just, because, you know, the, the, basically the, the, the sun's energy is disappearing, you know, being taken over by other things that are around us. And that there, it just seems to remove the lid ever so slowly to... Um, access otherworldly things it just you know the sunshine kind of keeps them suppressed take away the sunshine and then you know the birds go quiet out come the ghosts gosh that's that's really really interesting and i i know i've been places uh and we'll we'll you know we'll talk about chillingham in a moment but I, i know i've been places where um, you get to a point where the hair on the back of your neck or on your arm stands up. And I always think, you know, there's that old military saying, isn't there, the uh, the absence of the normal and the uh, presence of the abnormal. And I think sometimes that that kind of, <laughs> that happens in like in a spooky sense as well, doesn't it? It, cer- it certainly does. I mean, when you when you were talking about that B-17, I was starting to get the goosebumps when you were talking about the B-17, when the guy mentioned it, because I can, I can relate to that, you know. Once you've been in tune with all these various hauntings, you just know about your surroundings that things are beginning to change. You start to look around saying, right, okay, they're here now. Maybe we can't see them. Sometimes you can, oh. but you know they're there. Oh, my gosh. that That is – so you've made me go all goosey now, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> uh, just saying something like that. One of the things I was I was going to ask you is, uh, like, like I say, I, I mean, I, I am a great sceptic, I have to say, and mm-hmm. I – I think there's like an answer for most things, not not everything for, for lots and lots of things. But what do you think it is about the airfields, the disused airfields? And let's face it, they don't have to have been disused that long for them to take on a kind of a a spooky parlance, really. What, what do you think about it is about them that, that holds that atmosphere? What it is about them is they were basically farmland that in a very, very, very short space of time, 
we're given over we're given over to something you know outside of the envelope but you know very very quickly and equally as quickly in most cases that was taken away you had a huge influx of people exerting an, an awful awful lot of energy and of course you know there was a lot of bustling activity um, everything's been disturbed, the ground as well, and this is a, another thing that comes into the mix, all these disturbances. Um, and um, there's been so much, so much merriment, so much sadness, everything was sort of, been, it's been driven into that focused little area of an airfield, and then suddenly it's taken away. Wow, it's a bit like letting go of a coiled spring. Um, but sometimes letting go of a spring with maybe a shock absorber attached. Uh, and then you get other catalytic events um, that basically are the, are the, the trigger for uh, bringing um, snippets of past occurrences um, back to real time. What an amazing conversation to have uh, with R Richard there. I mean, he's so deadpan about it. Nothing, it seems, would scare him. And I, I love the way that he kind of talked there towards the end about, you know, hangars and airfields and, and generally there is upheaval. And if there's anything lurking down there, it's going to get churned up, isn't it? I just quite like that analogy that, you know, airfields and hangars and things, they just have that kind of disrupted history mm. there's a very thin veil as he says oh i don't i don't know what i think about it jamie but oh it, it, it kind of gives me the goosebumps well she was so good last year we thought we'd bring her back so carrying on with this theme uh, we managed to catch up with rachel parsons from the redford ghost hunters again this year We've had to use an emergency Zoom link because Rachel finds herself in transit away from a laptop going to find some more ghosts. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel, for taking this time out of your day. Now, last time we spoke to you, you had just been all over the local press seeing the Metheringham Lass. Now, the Metheringham Lass, let's just recap really quickly, is a, a spectre that roams around the old RF Metheringham, a lady who came off a, a motorbike and... Um, or does some pretty horrible things, really. If you see it, doesn't she? She smells and stuff. Apparently, yeah. She's uh, she's got a chip on her shoulder, basically. <laughs> I think I would, to be fair. <laughs> so, have you seen anything else of the Metheringham last since last year? Yeah, we went back again, and we actually had some youths that were trying to uh, shove us off the road. We ended up having to phone the police because they were being a nightmare. But when they went, probably built up a little bit of energy. I think <laughs> we. All the viewers saw a white mist at the side of the car moving and we could see it with his own eyes. And actually seeing it through his own eyes and filming it at the same time was fantastic because people were like, I can see it, I can see it. And again, we had equipment going off and the Alice box was throwing out words again that was relevant to, you know, to the investigation and the story behind. So, yeah, she seems to enjoy the little ghost hunters that come along and try to talk to her. I think it's an opportunity for her to... Ask where's a boyfriend? I mean, she obviously likes you a lot, Rachel, because whenever you drive down there, she's out looking for you. We talked about RAF Metheringham being a, a a former RAF base. Now, I do follow you, the Redford Ghost Hunters, on your ghost hunts, which you put online. We'll put up a little link for that. 
you seem to go to a lot of RAF bases. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I've got a bit of a soft spot for RAF bases because I'm an ex-RAF child. So I was, you know, born and bred. My father lived and breathed RAF, even even when not in there, up to up to dying, you know. So going in and seeing these places, I appreciate it. But there's that many places that are, are open and it's just easy access. You just walk in, you know, it's great. It's fantastic. So and there's so much energy there and there's so many stories around hauntings in these RAF bases. Can you tell us about some of the ones that you've been to this year? We've been to Acaster Malbis, New York, but that's not accessible anymore. So thankfully I got in because that was my dad's favourite place. He always used to talk about that base. Right. One of my team, Philomena, she saw a first apparition there. She'd never seen a, a ghost in her life and she saw a figure walk straight past the window. Um, and that that place has got quite a heavy feeling. Um, we go to other places that are not as heavy. Witten, RF Witten. And then not far from there, we're actually going there tomorrow night. It's our favourite place at the moment. And it's it's the only place where photography was was done for, you know, for for the RAF, like anything that was taken for the for the I think it was for the Cold War. That place is just literal walking. It's fantastic. And when we're in there, the noises we get. And every time we've been, it starts talking on the Alice box about photographs. Really? My photographs. Yeah. And we kept getting somebody called Christopher and then Robinson coming out. And our historians have done some research and there was a Christopher Robinson that was there. Gosh. We're going back there tomorrow night for Halloween. Can't wait. That, that place we're talking about, well, not say where it is because of security, but we've obviously talked before this. That was a, a, an RAF base, but also used by the Americans right up to sort of, I think, the 1980s. So you might find that you get a bit of American history as well. Yeah, we found that. We found we get Italian, American, Polish, you know, we get everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and talk, just going back to when you were saying about Acaster Malby, I believe that was a, um, a heavy bomber station in the last war, and I imagine it saw a lot of losses. I th- I'm pretty sure it was our Halifax bomber base. I could be wrong. Gosh. Uh, so why do you think there's so much activity around these RAF bases? Um, lots of deaths, um, lots of trauma, um, people dying traumatically and sitting, not knowing where the home is. Um, and I think also a lot of, uh, the other side of it, a lot of love because... I know, like, I'm, I know I'm going back to my dad, but when you go into the RAF and you're in there for a long time, my dad did nearly 30 years, you do live and breathe it, you know, mm. and it becomes sort of like your life. You know, it is your life. Yeah. You take your family with you, you know, your children grow up on bases and I think it's happy memories. Mm. So they could go back for that as well. It's kind of all encompassing, I guess, isn't it? So we've spoken about some of the RAF places you've been to. Amongst them, the very, very famous RAF Binbrook. What a place. Home of the Lightning. And there's a very specific ghost story. I, I think there always is an RAF station, isn't there? There's Lindholm Willie to RAF, Lind- the former RAF Lindholm. But there's Clubfoot at Binbrook. Have you ever come across Clubfoot? Now, let's just say, let's just, <clears throat> do you want to tell us a story about Clubfoot? Okay, so Clubfoot is supposed to be an officer that haunts Binbrook. There's two stories that he sabotaged a Lancaster bomber and it blew up. 
Um, the other story is that it was an accident, but I think he did it on purpose. I really do. And he, he's got a, they say they call him club foot because he's got an injured foot. We have had so much activity at Binbrook, it's unbelievable. But we, we don't feel that we've ever come across club foot. We don't. We know he's there because so many other, you know, hunters have seen him and he's been witnessed by many. But we we seem to get everything else but him. So it's really weird, really weird. But we keep going and we will keep going and see if we get him. But also, as you know, we are honest ghost hunters. And, you know, I wouldn't just go and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely club foot. I just don't feel it is. Nothing's relevant come out yet. So you see, it's a very active place. What other sort of things have you had go on at Binbrook? We've had, um, gosh, flipping egg. We've had massive, like massive bangs in an empty building with no doors. We've had doors slamming and there's no doors in there. Um, we've seen figures. We've had um, a fantastic necrophonic session where we was asking, we actually said, can you finish this sentence? And we said, not sentence, can you finish these words? And we said, R-A, we pressed the necrophonics and it went F was fantastic um and we've had other things from the necrophonics on there as well we've had fantastic screenshots by viewers sent to us of um black figures we've had as equipment going off we've had all sorts there it's never fails we we, we always are confident that we're going to come away with something well thank you ever so much for joining us rachel if people want to follow you uh, on social media where do they go to so our main platform is on Facebook. So it is Retford Ghost Hunters UK. Uh, we're also on TikTok and YouTube. But that's our main platform. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, what an amazing lady. Love speaking to her last year. Love speaking to her this year. In fact, I've got to be honest with you, Jamie. I have kind of spoken to her all year. And I do watch the Retford Ghost Hunters on Facebook. Uh, they have lots of lives. It does make me laugh, though, because whenever there's a very spooky moment, Rachel is not spooked by anything. In fact, I think the ghosts are probably more scared of her than the other way around. She's, she's phenomenal. Speaking of phenomenal, an aircraft that has come to the end of its service life in the last week... The gazelle, the flight affectionately known as the screaming chicken leg. What an absolute, another iconic helicopter, tiny little helicopter, which I know that you've got a kind of history with. I've been in before. And of course, friend of Mav Geeks and Mav Peaks, Tim Peak, was in the gazelle as well and spoken very fondly of it this week as it's come to the end of its service history. Tim, one of many people uh, reflecting on the history of the gazelle, 50-odd years service in all three services, I loved it because you could see everywhere. It's um, the, the cockpit glass went more or less under you, so you could see straight down. It was brilliant. And I remember one flight in Belize. Now, what a place to fly in a gazelle. And um, it was the OC of the squadron. He took took me up just on a bit of a jolly. And then he stopped sort of midair, like helicopters can do, and uh, decided to phone his son at boarding school in the UK. Uh, from the comm system in the gazelle. We had to be at a certain level, in a, in a certain direction. He took his bone dome off, had a control column between his knees, which was perfectly safe, and uh, then proceeded to make a phone call to his son in the UK, which um, that is stuck in my mind for obvious reasons. But a, a lovely aircraft, and uh, sad to see it go, but it's done its duty. But bringing it up to date a little bit more for next week and leaving all the spooky stuff behind. Well, we all know about the Queen of the Skies, but... Jamie, 
you have been speaking to another queen of the skies, an absolute aviation icon. Tell us who you've been chatting to. Uh, the one and only Mandy Hickson. She's got oh. a fa- <laughs> fantastic uh, flying career to tell us about. I've really enjoyed speaking to her. Uh, so can't wait for you to uh, hear that in next week's edition. We'd like to hear from you, as we did from Andy. Andy Slay wrote in earlier on to say that uh, he was enjoying the programme, which is great to hear. If you've got any comments you want to make, any experiences you want to tell us about MavGeeks at bfbs.com is the email address. Absolutely. And we would absolutely love to hear from you on a review. If you feel like writing one on whichever platform that you listen to your podcast, please, please, please write us a, write us a nice review. It just means that we can carry on doing this because we love it so much and bringing you these amazing guests. Okay, well, enough scariness for this week. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao.